Well, good morning, and not to be redundant, but Happy New Year's Eve morning again. It's good to see you, and I do confess that I have been just really excited to dive right in and ask you the big question, how are you feeling? If you've been with us throughout Advent, like David mentioned, we have been asking this question all month. When Christmas is over, will we be dead or alive in Christ? So, what's the verdict? Are you dead? Did your celebration of Christmas run you right into the ground, or are you refreshed, encouraged, and revived this morning? Because this whole past month has been focused squarely on Jesus, your one thing. So don't be discouraged. We don't want anyone to feel that way if you're maybe dragging a little bit this morning. None of us are perfect, right? We say that all the time. It's okay to not be okay. We're all works in progress. But it's important to regularly kind of take our pulses, right? So that we can get a sense for how we're doing in case we need to once again reorient and align ourselves with the truth that we find in the words, works, and person of Jesus Christ. Because we want to just keep taking our next step toward him day by day. But here's the thing. So absolutely, during Advent, we talked about all the things that we could either resist or do so that we did not suffer the consequences of being in debt exhausted, feeling alone and depressed by the end of the, of the season, by the time we got to today. We didn't want to be dead inside. But what we need to understand that that is an illustration for life. And more than that, it's an illustration for eternal life. When your time on earth is done, and that could be today, it could be decades away, but unless Jesus comes back, We are all going, well, unless he comes back first. He is coming back. Let's make that clear. Unless he comes back first, we are all going to die. And when we do, there is no more important question. The answer to it will have eternal ramifications. When it's all said and done, will we be spiritually dead inside or will we be alive in Christ? Because unlike Advent, which will come around again in another 11 months, we won't get a do-over once this life is done. The choices we make every single day impact us for eternity. So as we stand at the precipice of 2024 with the rest of our lives before us, however long they end up being, just like during Advent, we are wise to think long and hard about our lives, about why we do what we do and where it will all lead for eternity. So then, where do we start when we consider this question, when our time on earth is done, will we be dead or alive in Christ? So I thought we could take our cue from the Apostle John, from whom we've been learning all through Advent, and start at the beginning. From the moment life starts, we are all in very bad shape. The minute our hearts start beating, we are already spiritually dead. That's what King David affirms in Psalm 51. We studied that during Lent in 2022. He said, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So this is part of the doctrine of total depravity. And I know that's probably not one of our favorite doctrines here at Formal Church, but it is so critical to a right understanding of the gospel. 
Total depravity means that because of the sinful rebellion of man that we learn about in Genesis chapter 3, every single part of us, of every single one of us, our souls, our bodies, our hearts, our minds, it is all corrupted by sin. We're born that way. We cannot escape it. It affects the entirety of who we are and what we do. Sin penetrates to the very core of our being so that everything is tainted by it. And as the prophet Isaiah says, all our righteous acts are as filthy rags before a holy God. That's ultimately what David was writing about in this psalm. His sin was ever before him. But listen, he knew he wasn't a savior. Um, he knew he wasn't a sinner because he sinned. He sinned because he was a sinner. And there's a big difference there. The Bible clearly teaches that sin is a matter of our hearts, our natures, long before it ever works itself out in our behavior. And that's actually what Paul affirms in Ephesians chapter 2 as well. We studied this part of Paul's letter a little over a year ago. He writes to the church, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, listen, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that's the bad news. It's very, very bad news. We are all born sinful, spiritually dead, and therefore we are separated from God from the start. So let's think about our illustration again. During Advent, we considered all the traditions and the expectations, all the things the world tells us we have to do to have a Merry Christmas. So likewise, when we take a step back and think about the totality of life as we know it, once again we see that we are bombarded day after day after day with all the things the world tells us we have to do to have a good life, to live the American dream, right, and have it all. But think about it. If by nature we're already dead, we're already, already following the course of this world, already following the prince of the air, already living for the passions of our flesh and carrying out the desires of the body and mind, well then we're walking straight to eternal destruction. Completely and eternally lost, forever separated from God. How on earth could we escape so great a darkness? The fact of the matter is, we can't. Dead people cannot come to life on their own. Unless someone or something intervenes and shines light into our death and darkness, then we are without hope. And that's exactly what John told us happened at Christmas, isn't it? I'm telling you, the first 14 verses of John's gospel contain the best news any of us will ever hear. And this morning, as we read it one last time together, I hope that our hearts will exalt in wonder and thanksgiving. 
John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, or of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So right here at the beginning of his gospel account, John tells us, if we want to be alive in Christ, when it's all said and done, then we must be born of God. And another way of saying that is that we must be born again. Because remember, we're born the first time, already dead, on that path leading to eternal destruction. And the world is going to do everything it can to keep us dead, to keep us wandering about in darkness, to tempt us to go after wealth or health or the perfect marriage or the perfect job or all the right gifts under the tree or whatever it might be in order to live your best life now. But it's all an illusion. It's all broken. None of that stuff will ever satisfy us at the soul level. None of that will save us from our sin. That is why it is such good news that Christ came. He came, like we just sang, so that my soul should know its Savior. Jesus came into this world to bring us new life, and that life, John writes, is the light of men. But he makes it very clear, the Apostle John makes it very clear, there is only one way to have that life. We must receive, we must believe in the name of Jesus. And we learned a couple of weeks ago that that doesn't just mean that all we have to do is say the magic words, I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. Biblically, to believe in Jesus' name means that we trust that Jesus is who he said he is, the Messiah, the one God promised would come to rescue us from the oppression of sin. To believe in Jesus' name's name means that, we, that he will fulfill every one of his promises. When we do that, we become children who are born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of man, but born of God. When we respond by faith to the light of Christ that shines in our hearts, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and we're placed on that path to eternal life. And no matter how old we are when we're born again, we all start out as babes, relearning a whole new way to live. Instead of gratifying the sinful desires of our flesh like we used to do when we were dead, we're now alive in Christ and we long to live for God's glory alone. 
Do you see how all of this hangs together? How amazing is it that what we've studied all during Advent from John's gospel fits like a glove with all that we have been learning in Ephesians. But here's what I want us to see this morning. Just like all the choices we made during Advent revealed if Jesus is really our one thing, so our lives, the entirety of our lives will reflect whether or not our eyes and hearts are focused squarely on him as well. Our behavior will tell the truth of what we really believe. Paul said that if we're born again, then we are now light in the Lord, so we should behave that way. We should live as children of the light. He says that if we're born again, we'll find out what pleases the Lord. He says that if we're born again, we are to live in such a way as to be filled with the Spirit. And you can go back and listen to all those sermons that we dug into these past several months. You can go to our website. We've got a, a YouTube channel. You can even go to Spotify and, and listen while you, you do your things, drive or whatever, you know, whatever's most convenient to you. But I just want to keep bringing us back to this illustration. All through Advent, we were able to measure or gauge how well we were doing, keeping our eyes and our hearts solely focused on Christ by simply observing the state of our hearts and our lives throughout the month, right? Were we racking up debt or were we being rich in love? Were we exhausted or did we rest in Christ? Did we feel alone or did we find comfort and hope in our relationship with Christ? Were we depressed by the end of Christmas or did we find our greatest joy Abiding in Christ and living for Him, were we dead or alive in Christ? In his letter to the church in Galatia, Paul lays out what it looks like when people are filled with and living by the Spirit. In other words, we can learn a great deal about people, especially ourselves, by simply observing our behavior, by what's coming out of someone's life. There's a way that we can gauge if we're filled with the Spirit, alive in Christ, and progressing down that path toward holiness. Listen to what Paul writes. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is the evidence of spirit-filled living. And spirit-filled living just so happens to be precisely what we've been talking about in Ephesians chapter 5. During Advent, we took stock of our lives with the DEAD acronym, right? And that's what those four dark candles represented. In debt, exhausted, alone, depressed. So what I want us to do now is let's think about the fruit of the Spirit as a whole bunch of candles. There's nine listed. One fruit, kind of nine manifestations of it. All bunch of candles surrounding our one thing, Jesus. But instead of them being extinguished throughout our lives, we want them burning as brightly as possible because we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Paul urges us to take stock of our lives, whether we're dead or alive, by evaluating the fruit that we're producing. So, 
Are our lives marked by anger, fear, and hatred? Or do they overflow with love? Are depression and emptiness your near constant companions? Or do you know the joy of abiding in Christ? Are you consumed with anxiety and worry? Or do you enjoy the peace of trusting in God's promises? Do you find that your fuse is pretty short and you're frustrated all the time? Or do the people around you appreciate how patient you are? When you're driving or talking to customer service people or maybe a little unsatisfied with the dinner you ordered, are you rude, crass, mean, or are you a person of kindness? Does your sin not really bother you? Are you okay choosing the corrupt, evil behavior of the world? Or is goodness becoming the indelible mark that your life leaves everywhere you go? Do you let people down all the time? Or are you someone people can count on to do the right thing no matter what? Are you harsh and demanding? Or do you seek to be gentle in the way you speak to and treat the people around you? Is your life a mess because you lack discipline? Or are you learning more and more self-control with every passing year? Friends, God's word is clear. When we truly believe in Jesus' name, everything changes. The Holy Spirit empowers us day by day to walk in step with what we say we believe. And so all those behaviors you see in in green up there, they aren't the reason for our salvation. We don't simply try our best to be loving and joyful and patient and all the rest so that we can be alive in Christ. No, no, no. They, They manifest themselves from within us when we receive the gift of faith. They are the evidence that we are alive in Christ. They are the behaviors that reveal genuine belief in Jesus. When we're born again and filled with his spirit, these things will become increasingly true more and more of who we are. So tomorrow is the first day of a brand new year. And as you no doubt well know, it's not at all uncommon for people to make New Year's resolutions And those aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, not at all. But I'm afraid that far too often they seem to center around all the things the world tells us that we need to have or be or do. But remember, when our time on earth is done, what matters most is the state of our hearts. Dead or alive in Christ. All the other stuff is temporary. So just like during Advent, we each have a choice to make. What will your one thing be in 2024? Make no mistake, your behavior, your life will reflect the decision that you make. Will you resolve 
to keep your eyes fixed on Christ, treasuring and growing in your relationship with him day by day, so that the end of 2024, you are alive and well in him, bearing much fruit for the kingdom. And then will you do the same thing in 2025 and the year after that and the year after that? None of us knows how much time we have left. May it be far from us to squander even one day of it. Let's make the most of every one of the days ahead and live for God's glory alone. So for our response time, we're just going to leave this um, last slide up. I urge you to pray about what it might look like for you to grow in Christ this year. Perhaps rather than giving up chocolate or scrolling less on your phone or being more active, those are, those are all certainly good things to do. I would encourage you to consider how you hope and long to become more like Christ. What will you do to invest in your relationship with him so that these fruits are manifest in your life in ever-increasing measure? You know, when someone sets a goal, it's very common, right, for people to set a goal to get in shape in the new year, right? New Year's resolution. And once they achieve it, however, I believe they would be wise to keep training, to keep working out so that they can continue to stay strong and healthy. And guess what? David mentioned it already. That's what our pillars are for. You can consider those your spiritual gym, right? You can continually train in a pillar so that when you're out there in your everyday, ordinary life, you are ready, healthy, strong, and filled with the Spirit so that you can respond to all the opportunities around you with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let's go, church. Let's do it all for God's glory alone. 